The Indian River School District will host a major capital improvement referendum on Thursday, February 13th to seek the construction of a new Sussex Central High School on district-owned property north of Millsboro. I'm Dave Mall, and in this episode, we'll provide you with the important details about the referendum and hear from Superintendent Mark Steele, who will explain the importance of this initiative. Here are the basics of the Indian River School District's major capital improvement plan. The referendum will seek funding for the construction of a new Sussex Central High School north of Millsboro. The new school will have a capacity of 2,200 students and be built on district-owned property next to the existing high school building. A successful referendum will provide funding for the district's 40% local share of the construction cost. The remaining 60% will be funded by the state of Delaware. Once the new high school is built, the district will undertake a series of additional projects that will not require referendum approval. First, the existing Sussex Central High School building will be converted into a middle school, with Millsboro Middle School relocating to that facility. The existing Millsboro Middle School building will then be converted into an additional elementary school. In addition, attendance areas in Georgetown, Millsboro, and Longneck will be redrawn to alleviate overcrowding in the elementary and middle schools. This series of projects is expected to solve the district's overcrowding problems for years to come. But why are these projects needed? The answer is quite simple, enrollment growth. Since 2011, the district's total enrollment has grown by more than 2,000 students. This increase has put a severe strain on classroom space at several school buildings. More importantly, enrollment is projected to grow by an additional 2,000 students in the next five years. All of this has created an overcrowding problem that has reached a crisis stage. We'll let Superintendent Mark Steele tell you about that. Taking a look at, at our enrollment, and we have you know, data going back to 2009 you know, to compare and to take a look at our growth. And, you know, we've, we've grown well over 2,000 students in, in about a nine, ten-year period. And some of those years, that growth has been, particularly in the later years, has been more significant than it was in the earlier years. And what we're finding now, there are sections within our school district, particularly in the northern portion of our school district, where we have buildings that are severely over, over capacity. And when I say severely over capacity, you know, around 110% or higher. And... When you have that, you lose a lot of your flexibility uh, for learning um, and, and having spaces for kids. Uh, you have safety issues, obvious safety issues and concerns that you have. You have overcrowded busing. And these all uh, will produce uh, small issues, you know, such as in, increased discipline on buses and those sort of things. The biggest thing this year we, we would see, uh, taking a look where we are now, you know, as you know, we've done some things in the past. We've had to actually go to a three-tier bus system. And what we have, we now have students starting extremely early, and we have some students getting out what I would consider late. And during the course of the day, we have a lot of students that their bus drive to and from school has increased significantly. And that's a major concern whenever you have it. And when you reach that stage without any flexibility, then I, could, I would consider that a crisis mode that we need to do something to lessen the pressure on those, on those areas and schools. Going out to 2025, we'll exceed 12,000 students. Now, let me say this. University of Delaware uh, Unified Enrollment Study that was done years ago, which is used uh, by all 19 school districts when we are preparing CNs, actually predicted the Indian River School District to reach 10,900 students in the 2025 school year. 
uh, as of today, uh, when we when I checked this morning when I came in, we are right near the eleven thousand, almost the eleven thousand two hundred students. We're six years ahead, and if you had the opportunity to take a look on on Google Earth and Google Maps and take a look at Millsboro, Long Neck, Georgetown, Bethany Beach area, Fenwick Island. And if you look from 1986 till 2019, you can see why the pressure to build more capacity in our district is here upon us because the, the we have just significant growth and development in our in our school district. Nowhere is the problem more severe than at Sussex Central High School, where more than 1,800 students are currently crammed into a building designed for 1,500. The school is already utilizing 10 outdoor portable classrooms. In addition, common areas such as the cafeteria, auditorium, and hallways are no longer large enough to accommodate the entire student body. The situation becomes even more critical when one considers that Sussex Central's enrollment will likely top 2,000 students within the next five years. And that school's built for 1,500. Now, rest assured, when you put 1,500 students in that building, that building is going to be like sardines. When you have 1,800 and 1,500 student building, it's almost near impossible to move around. Good example, just the other day I had a, a doctor's appointment and um, my physician does some uh, programs at, at Sussex Central High School and told me he can't believe Bar Marshall doesn't close it down. It, it is so bad. He purposely gets there early because he doesn't want to be part of the problem of being in the hallway. We've referred to that in the past by a lot of terms, Sussex Shuffle and, and you know just a variety of terms. They, but at the bottom line, those kids can't even walk in a normal walk through the hallways when they're changing classes. It's, it's almost at a standstill and where you have junctions of students going you know, across a T-junction, whatever, it, it, it just backs up. Now compound that with the portables we put in. We now have students coming from the outside in, so we have just exasperated that. Now, we talked about portables before. Yes, that does give us classroom space. But we still have the same amount of hallway space, the same amount of common area space inside the building. When you say that, we're talking cafeteria, auditorium, that's those correct. Type of area that can't accommodate the student body. Anymore. Absolutely right. And w what you have when you you keep growing in students, you have you have nowhere to displace those students, and it becomes you know, seriously overcrowded. Mm -hmm. You know, we have students at Sussex Central who have just just single minutes to eat their lunch because they can't get through the line and get their food quick enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, it also impacts the teachers, too. Aren't there several teachers up there that don't even have classrooms? Yeah, we have over 22 teachers now have no classrooms, and they have to go um, from one classroom to the other. And keep in mind, you know, talking about being part of the issue when they change class, you now have a teacher with a push cart with all of the supplies on it in the midst of all of those students trying to maneuver their way to get to their next class. You also have a, a supervisory issue because as, as students come into that class, if the teacher hasn't gotten there yet and something should happen, you know, those students are unsupervised. There is just a plethora of problems uh, that, that a, a seriously overcrowded building such as Sussex Central presents. But Sussex Central isn't the only school with overcrowding issues. East Millsboro Elementary School is currently at 104% capacity and is expected to be at 113% by 2024. North Georgetown Elementary School is at 102% capacity and will likely be at 104% next school year. The school is already utilizing two outdoor portable classrooms. By 2024, North Georgetown is projected to be at 116% capacity. 
Georgetown Elementary School is expected to reach 100% capacity next year and be at 124% by 2024. Already this year, the district has closed the Georgetown Kindergarten Center to free up classroom space for Georgetown Middle School and has implemented a three-tiered busing system to allow some school buses to service multiple schools on the same day. And in regards to relieving overcrowding, portable classrooms are only a short-term solution and not a viable long-term option. The units are costly and present safety and security concerns due to their placement outside of the main school building. Students are also exposed to weather as they walk from class to class. In addition, some school campuses are not large enough to accommodate portable classrooms. First of all, when you have your portable classrooms, we have, we have units, uh, and each unit contains two classrooms. So we have five of the units that we lease. Uh, I will tell everybody now that the cost of those five, saddled with the cost of moving two single wides that were given to us from Cape Penelopen has surpassed $425,000 just for this school year. Those five double classroom portables will cost us approximately next year $10,600 per month for the lease, which puts us over between $120,000 and $130,000 a year. The concern in the future is as we continue to grow, the next five that we bring in is going to cost us pretty much well the same amount of money, four hundred twenty some thousand dollars. But at the same time, we're still going to be paying about one hundred thirty thousand plus for the lease on the first group, and then the year after that, we bring five more in. As you can see, we keep compounding as we're leasing. That lease will go one hundred thirty thousand one year, you know, two hundred sixty the third year, three hundred ninety the third year. Plus all of the money that we're putting out to bring them in and get them set up. I can tell you right now, if we hit 12,000 students, which I think we will easily do by 2025, 26, I'm telling you we will have 20 to 25 portables. Mm-hmm. Concern is we don't have areas in some schools to put portables. The East Millsboro, the Stubbyville Middle School, we, have just, we just have no area to put portable units. And, you know, so we're, we're locked in there. There's nothing we can do. Um, the financial aspect of it, I know, is one that you find particularly troubling. Can you talk about what the consequences are if we keep having to shell out that much money per year to put portable classrooms out there? What is going to be the long-term consequence of that? Let me, let me say this to everyone. We have, in the last three years since I've been a superintendent, we have really, as I, and I've said this before, you know, wants and needs. Do we want it? Do we need it? We focused on needs. So we've been able to build our reserves. To a point, probably, they're as good as they've ever been. And hopefully in another year, they're going to be even better. And I'll explain how that's going to be a benefit in a second. However, once we, uh, once we have done that, keep in mind, the lease money, the money required to make these trailers or portables ready for classroom, the $430,000 this year, uh, the lease year's coming up. That is not paid by the state. That comes out of our operational money, which means current expense. As we take money out of current expense at chunks to the tune of a half a million to a million dollars a year for portables, which is certainly where we're going to be, our current expense is going to start to decrease, which means we're going to have to start tapping into the reserves 
and is going to make us come back and say, folks, we're going to have to have a current expense referendum a whole lot sooner than what we want. Within two to three years, we'll have to have a current expense. Now, how's that differ? Current expense, once we set it, it doesn't go down. It stays the same. So if we were to come back and have a $0.28 cent current expense, then that's going to be $0.28 cents on your tax bill from this point on. Forever. Forever. Now, I want to touch on one more topic with portable classrooms. Can you talk about... The, the physical drawbacks of having portables at schools. What I mean, just the logistics of getting kids in and out. What are the issues with those? I can, Dave, and, and you know I can give you firsthand experience because as principal of Indian River High School, the old high school before we built the new one, we had about six trailers uh, that we had to deal with, plus a couple of outdoor classrooms and a butler building. And I can tell you the issue you run into with outdoor portable classrooms. Weather's huge. Weather is, if you have a serious thunderstorm, you're not going to let those kids leave those rooms and, and take the risk of being out in thunder and lightning or pouring rain. If you have snow and ice, you have the same issue. They have to walk outside in the elements. A lot of people say, yeah, I did that and I'm okay. Yeah, you, you are. But for the most part, we're not living in the same type of society we lived 20 years ago. You know, you, you have those physical safety features you have to worry about. You also have the safety features of, Anybody could walk in and get on the grounds and go directly to an outdoor classroom, and it's very difficult to find them because there's no way to keep them locked out other than locking the trailer door. This provides a whole different set of issues. People could, you know, realistically, people could open up on a uh, a trailer with a, a a gun, for example, and you know that bullet's going to go right through that trailer. And Whereas no if you did that to a school, it's not going to penetrate. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so just location outside the main mm -hmm. school building creates a problem, whereas you can't lock the doors True. as you could in a regular school building to keep people out. Those trailers are right out in the open at the back of the school True. or wherever they may be. And we've had, to use, we've had to use safety money to actually put a fence at the Sussex Central site because we want to do everything we can to keep those students inside and safe mm -hmm. you know, from the outside as much as possible, but we're limited on what we can do. Yeah. The, the thing you don't see, the wear and tear on your building. And this is something, you know, anybody that's used or, or been a principal in a building where you've had your portables in the past, when you have snow and rain, you, of course, you're going to put salt down on the sidewalks to melt the ice for the kids so they don't slip, but that's going to get tracked right into the building. So if you have carpets, it's going to seriously, you know, decrease the length of life you're going to have on those. It's going to scrape up and loosen tiles and crack tiles. And you're going to be bringing a lot of moisture in as you come in on a rainy day or whatever. So, you know, you've got the wear and tear on the actual building. Then that's going to increase the amount of money from your minor cap, you know, for these types of fixes that you're going to have to utilize. If the referendum is not successful on February 13th, the district may have to undertake some drastic measures, including adjusting feeder patterns to move more students from the northern end of the district to the southern end. In essence, students who reside in the Sussex Central feeder pattern might be moved into the Indian River High School attendance area. This is a good topic because I think when you take a look at the capacities of our buildings and you take a look at our projection where we're going to be and even compare that to where you are right now, as a district, we're capacity. We're at capacity. So in order to make this work, I've said this many times in the meetings with, with the people here and with the school board, there are three things can happen. We can pass this referendum and fix a crowding problem north and south for the next 10 years without having to come back to the taxpayers and ask for a tax increase. Number two option, not pass the referendum, continue to buy portables, come back in about two years for a um, 
current expense referendum. Again, downside there is once it comes, it stays. And it does and then, not that does not solve the long term problem. No, and somewhere down the line, because keep in mind, you are going to continue to grow and you're going to continue to have to lease trailers. And as you grow, you're going to lease more trailers. So this compound is going this is going to compound. Because our current expense money needs to be used that when we actually increase in students and we have a change in our tax assessments, a growth, that growth should go toward the teacher salaries and supplies. Now that's not going to happen. It's going to have to go toward portables. Yeah, yeah. That's the big issue. So option three is redistricting. Now, I want to go back to option one for a second. Because option one, if it passes, we still are going to look at the north and there are some school boundary lines in the northern schools that will keep the kids in the northern part of the district where they historically have been for 50 years. But we will also move those students around to create space in every school we have so we have nobody over capacity or even approaching to be over capacity. Now let's be clear about that. Those students, the, that redistricting would occur within the confines of the northern end of the district. Absolutely. So, so a student may go to a different elementary school or a different middle school, but will eventually still feed into Sussex Central High. Absolutely. Now, what we would face in option three is, is if we redistrict the entire district, we would be pulling kids down. And one of the one of the models, the quickest model we looked at was if we took Route 24 and we took Gumber and anything south of 24 would come to the southern schools. Now, there's two things going to happen, and keep this in mind. We know already that district-wide, we're at district capacity. Now, all we're going to be doing now is taking schools that might be at about a 90% capacity, now we're going to put them at 100% capacity, north and south. When we fix that problem, we're going to have to build multiple buildings in the future in the north and in the south because we can't keep changing lines on a yearly basis and move kids back and forth. We need to set lines. They need to stay set for transportation, uh, for those sort, of, those sort of issues. You have to leave them alone once you settle. So when we redistrict, that would be a major, major event that would not be undone for, mm -hmm. for a long time. And we're looking at, I, I guess, rough estimates, just about 275 students, but it actually could be more than that because of... That's just looking at the, at students who ride the school bus. So, But there's a lot of students that go to Sussex Central High School that actually drive to school. So we're looking at possibly upwards of 300 students that would be moving to the southern end of the district. I would say probably at the end of the day, uh, the, the model that we're using now to try to get a grasp on how many students we're looking at is a very low number. Mm -hmm. I think it would have to be more. So we would have to look at adjusting that line up and down in various locations. Mm -hmm. And... Keep one thing in mind, and, I, and I've said this before. We're not going to stop growing this year, and then this is going to fix all the problems. We're going to continue to grow every year. And that's the, the portion that's important when you look at the redistricting. We come up with a redistricting plan today that two years from now, that plan may not work. We may have to scrap it and redo it because we may have you know multiple things. I can tell you on Route 24, there are three developments going up as I speak, probably about 600-plus homes. And if you look at just 10% of those kids, you know, 10% of those home bringing in two kids, you know, you're looking at a significant increase in kids at that particular elementary. Mm -hmm. So those are the three options we have. Mm -hmm. And do I think redistricting as an entire district? No. The Indian River School District currently has almost 11,200 students. We don't have too many students. We really don't. We, we lack space for that many kids. 
But because of our geographic size, redistricting the entire district is not a wise idea. It's going to add to your transportation costs significantly. We already have an issue with transportation, one on finding drivers, two on finding people who want to stay as contractors because you can't find drivers. That's going to be a significant impact as well. So there's one viable option that could fix, and it is the cheapest of all three options at the end of the day is to simply pass this referendum because when we build the new Sussex Central High School and we move Millsboro Middle to that air, to the old school, we now have another empty building for an elementary that we need in the north. So we create our own space, and we do it in a way that's smart, and this is the best avenue we can go. And this is where the construction of a new Sussex Central High School impacts the entire district and not just the northern end. Well, we know where the north is. I mean, we've talked about this for the last two years. People understand that we have a crowding issue. But the question would be in the south, how does it impact? And it's going to be significant, significant. Let me explain. As we go through and we add portables, okay, if we add portables, all of the money that's going to be taken out of our general fund operating operating uh, expenses to do those it's going to come back to the south as well as the north you're going to see a slash in school budgets you'll see a slash in teaching staff you'll see increased class sizes that's what you're going to see that's not going to affect just the north that's also going to affect the south because that money is per student and if there are more students in the north that money would go there the problem is in the south since we're still taking out of our general operating funds all those areas are going to be areas that we will have to make significant cuts. Could be programs. I can tell you uh, an unseen side effect of, of this pro, of, of doing this. You take Indian River High School, which is right now about 945 kids. That is a, I would say, on the, the, the upper two, uh, on the threshold of being a northern or southern division school. And if anybody or there are any athletes in the community know when you go to a northern school, you'll be playing against schools of 2,000 kids, 2,200 kids. And just to be clear, you if, if Indian River, based on enrollment, were forced to go into the northern division, they would become a Division One school yes. as far as the state of Delaware. That's so. correct. We would have a Division One school, and it would move to the Division One, which now our athletes on the southern end of the district would have to compete against schools that are almost twice their size on a regular basis, Dave, not, not just once or twice during the course of a season. But they would be forced to play all the Division One schools in the conference, and they would also have to pick up Division One schools because most Division school, Two schools do not like to play Division One schools for point values. Yeah. So if there's a redistricting, so to speak, and we have to move kids from the north to the south, Indian right. River is going to one their enrollment is going to go up. True. And I will say this: the enrollment in every school in the south is going to increase. And that's what I want to want right. to touch on because if we're forced to move students to the southern end. The schools in the southern end are quickly going to start True. reaching their capacity. True. And we would also have to consider redistricting. And I can tell you now, and this is something in the last few days we have looked at and we, 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 we thought maybe not, but now it looks like we would because the obvious place to bring students if they're coming from Gumboro and the Millsboro area would be JMC and Phillips Chow. We have room right now at Phillips Chow. We could absorb some of those students. JMC is not. So when we bring students to JMC, we're going to have to filter some of those kids off. LB is one of our highest capacity elementary schools. So when we take a look at all that, we're eventually going to have to change the southern lines to equalize those numbers out because the only way the redistricting is going to work if we redistrict the north is and to bring them into the south is 
we're trying to get everything on an even keel up north. We got to do the same thing in the south. So you're not going to just redistrict the north. You're going to redistrict the south as well, and that's going to cause serious issues for parents who have built homes for kids to go to certain schools, and that's that's just a significant impact. But again, and I've said this, and I and I hope that people will listen to to what I'm saying. There are three options on the table. There are no other options we can find that's feasible. You know, trying to find a, a big building somewhere to to run a school the size we need for 2,000, there isn't one. There isn't one in our school district. And if so, we wouldn't get state money to renovate that building to make it a school. So really, we have three individual options that we can do. Option one, building the new school is head and shoulders above the other two options. And in the long run, in the long run, is the smartest, the most effective, and efficient of the three options. So what is the impact to district taxpayers? The maximum property tax increase needed to fund the district share of the Sussex Central construction is $0.28 cents per $100 of assessed value. However, depending upon market factors such as the interest rate on bonds, the increase could be as low as $0.22. Cents. This equates to a maximum property tax increase of between $49 and $63 phased in over a three-year period. The increase would not reach its maximum until fiscal year 2023. In, in the case that we now have, the Sussex Central High School, the new Sussex Central High School is about $0.28. Cents. And taking a look at the, the structures and the tables, Depending on what the bond rate is, which could go anywhere from a max of 5% to about last year was 2.88, you're going to fall somewhere between $47, $48 a year and maybe up to 63 for the average homeowner. If most of our homeowners have mortgages and you pay your property taxes on a monthly scale, that's going to turn out to be, for example, on the 5%, approximately 70 cents the first year you would see your monthly your monthly bill go up about two dollars and 28 cents the second year and about two dollars and 50 cents the third year but in year number four before we even complete the building because we have bonds retiring you're going to see a decrease and you're going to start to gradually see that decreasing 68 cents 78 cents per month on the following years in fact when you take a look at a 2.88% bond rate, which we kind of feel, since the economy is so good, that's approximately where we think this bond rate would be. Within 10 years, your, your tax bill would only be $10 higher than what it is now for the average homeowner. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it's plausible to do it this way because when you do the mortgage or you do the major capital, it eventually goes away. Whereas what you were saying earlier, a current expense tax increase stays forever. True. That does not ever phase out. Whereas a major cap, which is what we're seeking in this referendum, your taxes will go up to pay for the building and then it'll then it'll go it's down. Exactly like a mortgage. As you pay your mortgage at home, more and more of your payment goes toward principal as you move down the years. In our case it, it it's it's quicker because you know we have the, the tax base that we have enables us to pay that off much quicker. Mark Steele explains why there has never been a better time for residents to support this measure. From this point this year on through 2025, we have seven bonds that are going to come to mature and going to be closing. What would normally be a 20-year payoff, we would we will be able to pay this off in almost 10 years, or at least get your tax bill down to where it is today in terms of your major capital. 
and it is by far the best thing to do. And under under the proposal that's out there right now, the average taxpayer in the district would see their their tax rates go up for about three years. Three and then, years and only. Then starting year four, it'll start to go down again. Significantly, Dave. You look at the dollar value. You may increase sixty, sixty-two, sixty-three dollars. You know, if you if you're an average homeowner of a twenty-two thousand seven hundred sixty-one dollar assessed value, and folks, that is not your market value. If you're plugging in a triple-digit number, then you are too high. You need to look at your tax bill. You need to look for your assessed amount. When you take a look at what that's going to increase, and keeping in mind, as I said before. I like to break it over 12 months because most people have a mortgage, not all, but most do. Then you're looking at, at, at a $5 monthly increase on that mortgage. When you hit year three, again, about 70 cents the first year, $2.18 the second year, and another $2 the third year. In year four, it starts dropping. When you look at the total dollar amount for those that don't have a mortgage, you're going to start dropping seven, eight dollars a month in year four, four through ten. You're going to be dropping significantly before the school was even completed. It's almost unheard of, Dave, to build a building and to actually see your taxes for a major cap decrease before the building's even finished. Mm-hmm. The referendum may also amount to a last chance scenario under the state of Delaware's approval process for capital improvement projects. We had two failed referendums last year. And the board decided it, it, it's in such a critical need. They, they just feel that we have to move forward. And I agree. We have to move forward and try to do it now. Now, we had uh, the, the CN that we turned in was not fully approved. Our initial CN was for new high school additions at Sabbathville, additions at Indian River. The rate of student increase at Sabbathville and Indian River is not what it is in the north. So the state has limited amount of funds. Looking at the other school districts, I think this year there were 11 school districts that turned in CNs. There were two school districts that were awarded CNs for new buildings, Appaquinimic and Indian River. Indian River was awarded a new high school, a new Sussex Central. But the other projects were not approved. That's correct. My, my um, comrade up at, at Appaquinimic, Matt Burroughs, I talked with him. You know, they, they had asked for a significant amount of money and they got about a third of what they asked for. So both districts did not get what they fully needed, and one of the reasons is it's not just the fact that Indian River is the only district growing, the whole state's growing. And because the whole state's growing, there are needs in other districts. So I have been told, you know, by the Department of Education, that if we can't get this referendum through, it's going to be a couple years before they would even consider us again. As we, as we wait, we keep adding portables, we keep using our current expense, and at the same time, we keep growing. And the expense and the cost of the buildings keep rising. So we're looking at more money years down the road, if and when we get something approved. So it's critical, more critical now than ever, that we pass this referendum. The district will host a series of public meetings in the coming weeks to explain the referendum. The schedule is as follows. Wednesday, January 22nd at Sussex Central High School, Wednesday, January 29th at Indian River High School, and Monday, February 3rd at Lord Baltimore Elementary School. All three meetings will begin at 7 p.m. In addition, 
The district has scheduled a special public meeting for senior citizens. This meeting will be held on Wednesday, January 29th at 9 a.m. in the Sussex Central High School Auditorium. At each meeting, district officials will give a presentation outlining the referendum initiative. The public is invited and will have the opportunity to ask questions. The meeting for senior citizens will also include information about tax assistance programs. Unfortunately, uh, what, what I see a lot today in society, I see it in the media and I see it everywhere, and that is you have people who have opinions and don't want to look at facts because they think their opinions are right. And Dave, that's the worst thing for this country. It's the worst thing for our district and our students. The accomplishments that our students have done is, is, is remarkable. A third of our schools recognized by the state for what we did on last year's testing. Um, you know, exceptional, exceptional schools and schools that closed achievement gaps considerably. You know, what I feel is this, get facts. People can, can you know, talk about, you know, the Indian River School District all they want, but I can tell you, the last three years has been totally transparent. The last three years, we've shown significant financial growth, and we've done what should have been done years ago, and we're in a good spot. But if you don't come out and see and hear that and see for yourself the facts, you're not going to know. So it's essential. I know we have three night meetings, January the 22nd at Sussex Central, the 29th at Indian River, and the February 3rd at LB at 7 o'clock at night for community meetings. On the 29th, we also have a 9 o'clock meeting for seniors. And I and I'm really want to hear you know, input from seniors because I understand if you can't support it, if you cannot afford it. I am not going to beg you to do that and to do with that, folks. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I should do. But I am going to ask you to at least look at the facts to see. The one thing we can do for our children, all of our children, whether it's a blood relative child or another child in your community, is educate them. We don't want them to be a draw on the community. We want them to be highly educated. We want them to come back here, bring jobs back here. That's what we do as a community. And all I ask, sit down, look at the facts, make an informed decision. I could never question anybody about making a decision unless you don't bother to get the facts. Again, opinions and facts are two different things. Look at the facts, make a concrete, good judgment based on those facts, and let's move forward. We're, we're, we're a strong district, and we're only going to get strong in terms of our communities if we lay down a lot of the barriers that we've put up and say, you know what, I'm tired of all this. Let's come together and do something that's going to help everybody in this community. And this is one of the ways we can do that. District officials will also be happy to speak about the referendum to community organizations and homeowners associations. To schedule a presentation, contact the district office at 302-436-1000. Voting on February 13th is from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. at the following local polling places. East Millsboro Elementary School, Georgetown Elementary School, Indian River High School, Longneck Elementary School, Lord Baltimore Elementary School, and Selbyville Middle School. All residents of the Indian River School District who are U.S. citizens and at least 18 years of age are eligible to vote. Residents do not have to be property owners or registered voters in order to vote. You must provide proof of identification and residency at each polling place. 
Absentee ballot information is available on the district website or by contacting the Department of Elections at 302-856-5367. Please note that in the event of inclement weather, the referendum will be held on February 20th. More information about the referendum is available at irsd.net slash referendum or by calling the district's referendum hotline at 302-436-1079. IRSD Spotlight is produced by the Indian River School District. Episodes can be accessed through iTunes or by visiting irsd.net and going to the podcast link under the Discover IRSD tab. It is also available through several mobile podcast apps by searching IRSD. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with more great news and information from the Indian River School District. Until then, remember that Indian River truly is a model of excellence.